Hey guys, just a couple of quick notes before we start. Um, so I'm back. Uh, Nitromania episode 53 coming at you in just a couple of minutes here. Um, but before we start, I did want to get a couple of things out of the way that I just kind of forgot to mention on the episode or I just kind of briefly glanced over. Um, first, um, I want to thank everyone who, uh, you know, listens to the show for putting up with my sudden and unexpected break. Uh, there was a lot of stuff going on in the real world that was just uh, preventing me from being able to put any kind of uh, focus or time into podcasting. And so I just, uh, it was either tell you guys that I was taking a break and, and, you know, focus on fixing that so that I could then come back and do this or try not to take a break and still not get any episodes out and then be stressing about that as well. Um, so we went on the hiatus. I got everything straightened out. We're back. Uh, I am still at this moment going to stick to the try and post two a month, uh, thing that we had going on before, like a once every other week kind of thing. We'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, so we're back and I'm happy about it. I hope that you're happy as well. Um, second thing I want to send a shout out out to DL Hurst. Uh, who was supposed to be my guest on this episode when everything kind of went cockeyed. Uh, he was totally cool about the whole thing. He's a great dude. Uh, he's uh, just a, a, a good guy, a uh, great kid. Um, and so he is not on this episode, but he has agreed to be on a future episode. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get to it down the line here. Um, but shout out to him uh, at DL, I believe, underscore Russell's on Twitter or search D L Hurst H U R S T on Facebook to find him there. Um, yeah. So go support him when he gets, he's uh, working very hard at getting back in the ring following his broken leg. I know he's doing a lot of things, uh, in physical therapy and all that. And I think, uh, uh sooner rather than later, you'll see him, uh, you'll see him back competing in the squared circle. Um, but like I said, he has agreed to be on a future episode, uh, of this show, not this episode that didn't end up working out, but I got a great guest on this episode. I hope you like him. Uh, he's this guy I found on the street. His name is Jeff. Uh, and I think he did a great job, uh, coming in at the last minute here. Uh, lastly, before we get in, there are some audio issues here. Um, Jeff's computer did a weird thing on the recording and his uh, audio came through like at a super low volume. So I did my best to get it up to, you know, be listenable and to match mine. And then I ran everything through Levelator. So it sounds, it sounds good. But in that process, uh, there was some bleed, uh, you know, my audio leaked into his somehow. I don't know if it was coming through his headset and picked up by the mic, whatever the, whatever the situation was. Um, so there are, I cleaned it up as best as I could, but there are some spots where it is a little bit echoey. Um, and again, because of the tweaking that I had to do, there are some st- spots where Jeff sounds a little tinny or a little kind of like he's on the phone. Um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, 
the Skype recorder that automatically records all of my Skype calls did not record this Skype call, so I didn't have a backup to work off of. Uh, so I had to go with this one, and uh, I had to do a bit of work to get it to where it needed to be and not have to scrap it and re-record the entire episode um, because I wanted to get this out for you. You guys, uh, I wanted to get it out yesterday, but, uh, you know, on Tuesday, the regular Nitromania day, but that just wasn't going to happen. Um, so yeah, with that said, enjoy episode 53. This is a big one. This is fall brawl 96 featuring war games, the match beyond, uh, against, uh, with, uh, uh the NWO taking on, uh, Flair, Anderson, Luger, and question mark. Uh, and I thought it fitting given that, uh, NXT TakeOver War Games was this past weekend, uh, that this would be the week that uh, that we come back here with the, uh, the original War Games match. So enjoy, and I will uh, talk to you guys next time. Bye. Right, I want everyone, strip search, straight LG brother, that's what you're saying? WWWCW. What do you call them? Every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth is totally disgusted. Do a little dance, make a little love, and get down tonight. I just went back to the toilet to relieve myself. Look at the adjective. Play. Woman, I thank you very much. Look at the damage it does to the big fat beast whirling around. I don't dragging it that dirty under the ring. It's a tough job. But somebody's got to do it. From tsunami. You will have to depend on depends for the rest of your life. What are you smiling about? This isn't a funny situation you've gotten myself into. I wasn't sure what that word was. Gormant. You said agamut. Gormant. I can't help myself sometimes. What's going on, G? What's going on? Hello, Nitromaniacs. I'm back. And welcome to another rain-soaked episode of the Nitromania podcast. My name is Adam, I'm your host, and this is the show where you're not going to know shit about what's going on until we're damn well good and ready to tell you. This is the 53rd episode of Nitromania, meaning there is now one episode for each year the Grinch has been dealing with Whoville and their Christmas bullshit. This is the official episode of Cuba, and this episode will help prevent hyperthyroidism. Last time on the show, months and months ago. Sorry about that. Mediocre in-ring action was interspersed by absolute chaos outside in the pouring rain, which was great for us at home, but really shitty for the fans in the arena who didn't have the ability to see any of that footage. Sting was revealed as the sixth member of the NWO to the shock, disgust, and sorrow of Bobby Heenan, Lex Luger, and Eric Bischoff, respectively, and we were sent into Fall Brawl knowing very little of who would actually be participating in the War Games match. Also, last time on the show, I couldn't decide whether or not John Tenta, the character, not the man, deserved to be hoisted into the rafters or to have his shit thrown into the garbage. And so I put it to you all, my dear listeners and Twitter followers, and by a tally of three votes to two, it was decided that the man who is definitively not a fish should be hoisted into the rafters and the Nitromania Hall of Fame. So, John, up you go.
Now, ladies and gentlemen, the time has come. Fall Brawl is upon us, and for a battle of this magnitude, I'd need a special guest to join me to help break it all down. Joining me this week on Nitromania, the newest face of the Rundown podcast, a man that I am finally speaking with and not just conversing via text message. I'm kind of sorry that it had to happen this way. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff is here. Yes, I'm happy to be here, and yeah... It is kind of shitty that this is the way we uh, <laughs> finally do a podcast together, but that's fine because uh, I was a huge WCW guy when I was a younger, yes. younger kid. Well, let's discuss this because this used to be my go-to when we would have new co-hosts come on the rundown. Um, uh, how did you get started as a fan of professional wrestling? How long have you been watching? You know, What did you watch? Um, What's your story? What's your deal, dude? Well, it all started one night, but no, I, my, my parents and I watched it together. They... I was probably five years old, so 1995-ish, and uh, my parents used to watch a WCW every week, uh, Monday Nitro specifically. Uh, We did not watch Thunder, uh, and we never ordered any pay-per-views ever, so I would always just get, like, the, you know, believe me, the recaps covered everything with the pictures. You didn't need to really see it. Um but I, I do remember a lot of what I saw during Nitro. Um, and a fun little note, we always made fun of Fit Finley because he had a really sweaty butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> well, look for that in the future here on Nitro Mania. Oh, you will. <laughs> Good. So you are, you are, I think you may actually be, well, maybe not. I think maybe Jason was as well, but the the first person who actually was a regular follower of WCW to appear on this show. Uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, I actually didn't watch have... any WWF. I only watched WCW. So you're my polar opposite. Mm-hmm. That means we must fight to the death. <laughs> uh, all right. So for anyone who hasn't been following along or anyone who may have forgotten what happened in the two month hiatus that I had to take, Sorry about that. Uh, here was Here's where we are, going into Fall Brawl. The NWO are three months into their hostile takeover, starting in July with Hogan's betrayal of WCW, continuing to August with Hogan winning the title from the Giant at Hogwild, and now into September, where it's been revealed that Ted DiBiase is funding the group, that he's used his endless cash flow to basically buy the Giant away from WCW, and just last week on Nitro, it was revealed, as I mentioned before, that Sting had turned his back on the company as well. Now, Originally, the War Games match here at Fall Brawl was supposed to be the NWO, Hogan, Hall, Nash, and whoever the fourth man was, against the team of Flair, Anderson, Luger, and Sting. With Sting's sudden but inevitable betrayal, it is completely up in the air as to who the fourth man will be on each team. Macho Man and the Giant are also facing each other tonight in singles action, originally because Macho was mad at the Giant for losing the WCW title in the first place, and now because he's joined the NWO, so it's not either of them. DDP is facing either Chavo or Eddie Guerrero. I don't remember which, uh, but I just know that it's a rematch. Uh, Juventud Guerrero, uh, sorry, Guerrera, difference, is facing Conan for the Mexican heavyweight championship. You, you of course, you know, being a WCW fan, you, you remember the prestigious Mexican heavyweight championship. <laughs> weirdly, more, weirdly, I did not. I did more not remember on that. the Mexican more heavyweight championship. More on that championship. later. Uh, Harlem Heat are defending the WCW tag titles against the Nasty Boys. Uh, and I'm sure Rey Mysterio is defending the Cruiserweight title, but I don't know against whom. So with that said, Jeff, 
Are you ready to dive into the madness and chaos that is Fall Brawl and War Games, The Match Beyond? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're bringing your trademark enthusiasm to Nitromania as well. Let's dive! It is Sunday, September 15th, 1996, and we are live from the Lawrence Joel Coliseum in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. You may remember this arena from Nitro episode 27, which featured the utterly confounding Lumberjack six-man strap match, which was somehow none of those things much like SummerSlam in Los Angeles or SummerSlam in Brooklyn we'll return to this arena each year for the next three years as Frawl Brawl Frawl Fall Brawl why do they have to name it fucking tongue twister 96 97 98 and 99 are all held in this building so as I said this is Winston-Salem home of Hanes Krispy Kreme and lung cancer and it is time for Fall Brawl We open with a video recap of the chaos that the NWO has caused over the past four months, including a clip of Hall and Nash destroying a car in a parking lot and Luger being very upset about it. I don't know when this happened, but it wasn't on Nitro. Tony welcomes us to the show. Their team tonight, as always, Tony, Bobby, and Dusty, and they are all dressed fabulously. They talk about the impact the NWO has had on WCW, and Dusty says the playing field has changed since Sting turned. Bobby says that that the crew is betting that this will be the last appearance of the NWO. (laughs) Bobby makes it sound as though Team WCW will be all four horsemen, but Tony later confirms that it's Flair, Anderson, Luger, and question mark. We are shown Sting attacking Luger again, and we see the NWO destroying Luger's car again. Turns out this was from last night's episode of WCW Saturday Night. Your opening contest this evening is a grudge match, as explained by the graphic on the screen. Diamond Dallas Page versus Chavo Guerrero Jr. They have two screens right next to each other in the entrance stage for Fall Brawl. You'd think they could spare one of those and send it to Nitro so that those fans can actually see see things that happen backstage or outside. (laughs) Since it is war games, there are two rings tonight, and I can't help but notice that they look a little smaller than usual. Maybe. Maybe it's just me. Referee Mark Curtis being very lenient in this match right from the start as they immediately leave the ring to no count and Chavo whips Dallas with a belt to no punishment. They go back and forth and Dallas takes control. Chavo starts to make his comeback after a weird little spot where Dallas tries to dry hump Chavo's face. So Chavo strikes him in the gut, which sends him back to the corner. I don't know. DDP goes for some kind of move while Chavo is down on the mat, but Chavo rolls out of the way. So Dallas just kind of throws his legs up in the air and flails over backwards and lands on his head. Because that's what he does sometimes. In my personal favorite spot of the match, DDP just takes Chavo and chucks him over the top rope into the second ring, and Mark Curtis just decides, all right, we're fighting in this ring now. As Tony ponders what the official ruling would be be on such a situation, apparently it's, all right, we're fighting in this ring now. (laughs) Uh, A diamond cutter ends things for Chavo, who fails completely at defending his family's honor. I have to say, I appreciate Mark Curtis taking the time at the end to make sure he gets to the correct side of the wrestlers in order to count the pinfall. Uh, what did you think of the grudge match, our opening contest here at Fall Brawl 96? Um, I actually had a, a quick note uh, on the video package they had in the beginning. Uh, oh, okay. Specifically when they were beating up, uh, you know, quote-unquote Luger's car. Because they recently actually had a table of three, which I happened to watch. It was between Nash... Uh, Big Show and DDP actually, and okay. they they talked about this specific spot. Um, oh, right. and it was like the first time uh, Nash had somebody on his in his group that was bigger than him, 
So like he wanted to get Big Show all fired up right before they got out, and he's like, "This is where you could really make a name for yourself if you if you destroy that car, you know." He really could make a name. I don't know why he thought that was an actual thing, but apparently (laughs) he got all fired up. And they were just kind of supposed to destroy the back window of the car. But apparently he, yeah, he went nuts and he like kicked the windshield (laughs) in. Apparently he totaled it and it ended up actually being a producer's rented car. (laughs) And uh, you you paid the six bucks for the extra insurance. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't get the insurance on it (laughs) and he can't, he can no longer rent cars. He's on a band list. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as for the match, um, uh, I actually thought this was an all right match. I still don't really know what a grudge match is um, and why it <laughs> needed to be said in the beginning. But um, a couple notes that I had. Um, yeah, I had the belt whooping as well. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's not illegal. Um, they have the uh, they had one point said the giant was billed as seven foot four and four hundred and fifty <laughs> pounds. Yeah. That's might be might be a tad exaggerated. Oh, but I had a, that was an episode a while back. I during during the break, I've been listening to some of the older episodes, uh, going kind of back through the back catalog of Nitromania, and there was one a while ago where they billed the giant at being, you know, well over five hundred pounds, and I'm like, the giant is smaller in '96 than the Big Show is now, and they don't say he weighs five hundred pounds now. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's looks. This is like the slimmest he ever was, so I, I don't know I where they're so, getting sure. 450. But <laughs> he doesn't even look... He looks maybe 300. Um, I, at one point, I hear Bobby Heenan says, if he were Diamond Dallas Page, he would have Chavo Guerrero make him a steak. <laughs> but then he corrected himself in the next sentence to say, make him make a mistake. Yeah. So he actually did say, "Make him a steak." <laughs> make him a st- chavo. Make me a steak. <laughs> me uh, medium rare. <laughs> um, uh, there's one point where uh, Dusty says uh, DDP has to work faster and to make Chavo uh, tap out or Uncle, as he likes to say, make <laughs> yeah. him Uncle. And then he's yeah. like, "You know what Uncle means?" And Bobby with probably. He made me laugh out loud. He said uh, the opposite of ant. <laughs> he is. He's really quick on his feet with that. Uh, um, God bless Bobby him. Heenan also says that Eddie's father got laid off 14 times in one week. <laughs> I thought that was a little much. <laughs> um, and I thought there was a really weird spot where uh, Diamond Dallas Page just took a back bump on himself. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's, yeah, I mentioned that. That's He just flails. Yeah, he, he did, he, he's done that. It's, it's just kind of his heel comedy spot where... He'll go for something and just fucking flail himself. That and getting stuck in the in the cables at ringside, which we didn't have here at Fall Brawl, but has happened a few times on prior pay per view outings. Yeah, it's such so an he'll, he'll, odd. He'll spot. bumped. He'll bump to the outside and then bump around in the in the television cable, like the at the at ringside, and get all tangled up. <laughs> and it's funny. It's funny. It is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I know. I thought this was actually a pretty decent match, especially for an opener. It was a little long. Yeah. Um. But uh, at the end, Bobby uh, said, with the making the American pit bull, and he became a Mexican chihuahua. Is that <laughs> is that a little racist? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. We, I don't we know. haven't we haven't had a game of is it racist in a while. That's true. Hmm. Uh, well, meanwhile, backstage, my personal favorite part of any of these pay per views. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know about you, but uh, Harlem Heat, Sister Sherry, and Colonel Parker are chatting on CompuServe, or at least they're yelling at some fat guy, a fat white guy to chat for them on CompuServe. <laughs> kind of weird. Tony then sends us to Gene. Pull up your socks and get ready. For a WCW special report about the attack, which is another more detailed recap of everything that's happened with the Outsiders in the NWO thus far. It is now submission match time as Scott Norton to... I'm sorry, takes on Ice Train. As it turns out, the hold-for-hold hold match from last Monday's episode of Nitro was more of a submission match than this submission match, oh. as this submission match is actually an I-quit match, as Mark Curtis, who is out there for the second match in the row for some reason, is carrying around a microphone. Uh, before the match begins, Dusty gets lost in a world of similes. We would agree with that now, wouldn't we? Yeah, that's one they can have. Yes. Nick Patrick. Right here now, this ma this matchup right here, guys, this has been brewing. Everything tonight has been brewing. Submission with these two big guys, arms like tree trunks, chest as big as the Grand Canyon. And one of them got to submit. One, two, three will not cut it tonight. It's got to be a submission hold. Also, enjoy Dusty trying to describe the ability to throw your voice. Go ahead and live right now if I've got none to go ahead and uncle the guy. DDT. He has no advantage knocking him out because he can't quit if he's unconscious. Not unless you're a good ventriloquist. A what? A what? A good ventriloquist. A ventriloquist. Yeah. Okay. You can throw your voice like it's his. It ain't gonna happen here. The big man ice trained, as you said, wounded, injured. Got to really get on top of this game here to make this big old guy give up. I would stay on him a little more if I was Norton. Ventriloquist. The Minchilikis. Oh, Dusty. This match is like their match at Hogwild, just two huge dudes throwing themselves at each other. Uh, personally, I get more entertainment from seeing the two dudes dressed as Hollywood Hogan and Scott Hall walking down the steps and posing for the camera before taking their seats. Scott locks on a cross arm bar. Tony describes Scott as pulling and wrenching on the wrist while we can plainly see that Scott is just lying there not really moving and not appearing to apply any visible pressure to the wrist elbow or shoulder uh he does the same with the boston crab just kind of sitting there and then a japanese armbar not really pulling on anything i will say the armbar where he steps over ice train's neck that looked pretty good mm. um ice train then locks scott norton in a full nelson and dry humps him into submission a tap out submission by the way no microphone involved yeah. uh the crowd booed this by the way which they were right to do the best thing i can say about that match is that it was short and that also teddy long looks pretty decent in a teal sport coat what do you think yeah um i had no recollection of ice train when i was a kid i don't remember <laughs> who he was at all <laughs> And seeing him, like, I don't know what I pictured him as, but I did not picture him to look like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I also don't remember Teddy Long being so, he's like, he's, he's thick. He's a thick <laughs> guy. Uh, um, uh, just, uh, just reminded me of going back again. On the break, I went back through the history in the first episode that I did with Andy as the guest. Uh, had uh, Teddy Long come out as a manager and, and Andy just goes, Teddy Long is so fat. And it just, <laughs> it makes me laugh. Um. I, I, I do have to say, I, I don't think I care for Dusty saying uncle instead of submit. <laughs> uh, and for a submission match, it just seemed like a really physical match where they just ran into each yeah. other like 17 times. 
Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know why they would have these two guys do do a submission or even an I quit match, which is kind of what it was, but not. I don't know. It's yeah. These neither of these guys is known for their submissions. Yeah, I think Scott Norton's finish is a shoulder breaker. Yeah. I mean, it is a shoulder breaker. I don't know what he. Uh, it was not. It was not a good match. This is not a good follow up match at all. Um, I, you don't was, need to say. You don't need to say follow up. <laughs> uh, uh, there was one point where uh, I think Norton put a neck breaker or had a, did a neck breaker to Ice Train, and I don't know who it was, but somebody called it a reverse jawbreaker, which it's definitely not. Because yeah, probably like probably what is Tony? Like it doesn't even make sense to reverse jawbreaker. You're hitting the back of their neck. You're not. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, this was a garbage match, and uh, Ice Train won with the prison position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we go straight into the next match. It is Mexican title time. Juventud Guerrero challenging Conan. Still one N in Conan for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Mike Tanay is on commentary here because, as always, he is the only person in the company who knows anything about wrestling. <laughs> Hooventude trips over the stairs during his entrance, and the camera quickly cuts away. That's so great. (laughs) Uh, Conan now dressing like the Conan we're familiar with, the wife beater, the plaid shirt, etc. He's also in the Dungeon of Doom, as we mentioned last week, for no fucking reason whatsoever. Um, Is it it racist when Jimmy Hart yells, Ariba La Raza, or is it just weird? (laughs) His voice saying it, too, is... It's so I don't, bad. I, I don't even want a sound clip of it because it's just so. It, it's just ugh, creepy. It is creepy. Also, evil Nick Patrick is your referee here, so we'll see if anything happens. You, do you remember evil, evil Nick Patrick? I your, do. The goatee yeah. Nick Patrick. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you know he's evil. <laughs> we start the match with basically Patrick allowing himself to be distracted by Jimmy Hart, so Conan can pick Hooventude up and throw him over the top rope to the floor. Uh, he then awkwardly waits for Hoovy to get up, walk over to the other ring, climb to the top rope, and then jump from one ring to the other and then onto him with a spinning ass attack that Tanay calls a spin kick. It was not a kick of any kind. Uh, then Dusty gets annoyed at Tony f- for no reason whatsoever. Earlier on, just will not stay down. Yeah, but for, for Tony, for a guy as big as as uh, as he is, when we talk about the, the weight differential, for a guy as big as he is, he moves quick as a cat. So he's very astute in doing, he's doing big man stuff as, as this smaller guy is doing, and he's going to hurt you more right around. Yes and nay, right around, yay. Absolutely yes right. and right. This yay. is. I was asking Mike, I wasn't asking him, because you didn't ask me right away. This is actually the first head-to-head singles bout between the two. They shill the hotline, and Hoovy does another weird maneuver using the space between the rings to his advantage. Hoovy later throws Conan out of the ring and then does some sort of high-flying maneuver that we can't see because the director decides to keep us on a shot of Conan standing on the floor, staring up into the air, waiting for Hoovy to jump on him. Uh, Conan throws Hoovy into the space between the rings and then waits for Hoovy to try a springboard moonsault, which he misses almost completely, so Conan picks him up and powerbombs him through the mat. Uh, we then get a nice boring spot as Hoovy exits the ring to regroup and Conan talks to Jimmy Hart and no one seems to know what they're supposed to do next as they just kind of mill around for a bit until Jimmy jumps up on the apron and Hoovy gets back in the ring. There's a lot of weird stuff in this match. Yeah. I don't know your feelings on it. Yeah. At one point, Hoovy gets Conan on the top rope, then backflips off the corner into the ring. So ah. Conan just jumps off the ropes and drop kicks him. Okay. Uh, my my favorite part of this match 
which is which says a lot about the match. But my favorite part of this of this match, towards the end of the match, after every near fall, you can hear the voice of what I believe to be a child in the crowd who yells, "Come on!" Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Every every near fall. <laughs> It was loud, oh, too. That poor child. Conan wins with a power bomb off the top rope called the Power Drop that Juvie jumps just a Juvie, whatever, jumps just a little bit too high for. Conan is still your meaningless Mexican champion. That match was kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, There's a whole lot of rope breaks that seemed unintentional, and there seemed to me, I don't know how you feel, but to be a lot of Conan waiting for Juvie to jump on him for the next spot. Yeah, he, he sucks at selling. He is not good at selling at all. I have yet to see a, a Conan match that I've enjoyed on this show. Yeah, I and I do like everybody else. I remember him actually being a good wrestler. Like I remember, so maybe, like maybe that's maybe that's in '97. <laughs> I mean, maybe. It's, it's, I mean, how many years has he been in the business at, at this point? Uh, I'm not gonna look it up. I mean, he looks <laughs> like he could be 40 there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, yep, I had uh, Mike today, Wrestling Insider. Um, <laughs> But uh, they, we get some hotline talk. Uh, I didn't realize it was a dollar forty nine a minute. That's, oh, yeah. that's a bit much. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like the WWF superstar line was the same. Yeah. Um, uh, we we gonna say something? I got I got in trouble for a kid for I, I don't know if I told this story on the show before. I got in trouble as a kid for calling the superstar the superstar line because they would always advertise the first minute's free, and I was not aware that the first minute was basically the time that you were listening to the menu to choose your option. So I would push the button and then time for 59 seconds and then hang up. <clears throat> oh, but God. The minute started as soon as the call connected. So I was, my, my folks had like about like 15 or 16 like charges for like a dollar forty nine two four two ninety eight. Oh, and God. Like, what is this? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I didn't call it. Uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> You're a good liar then, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, at one point, I thought Dusty called Mike Tenay Iron Mike Tenay. Yep, that's yeah. his nickname. Really, Iron I Mike? Don't, I, I, didn't know I don't know why. God, um, Dusty, I think uh, t- says Conan is tossing Hoobie around like a wet towel. I don't think that's a saying, but he said it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had when Hoobie regrouped himself. He was out there for like thirty seconds, and <sighs> and Nick Patrick milked that count. He really <laughs> milked it. Um, yeah, I don't know why he backflipped off the top rope for no reason. Yeah. He literally, he had him up there, and I thought he was going to do like a Frankenstein or something. Yeah. But no, just backflips. No. And then just gets a drop kick. Like, yeah. what the fuck? It was weird. Um, it, they, they really started to seem like, confused. Conan didn't even do anything during that. It's not like they acted like Conan reversed something. Conan no. just sat there. Yeah, he just backflipped. Movie backflipped. He was just oh, showing God. off, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, they, they seemed really confused toward the end of this match. Like there was an yeah. abnormal amount of drop kicks in this match, <laughs> and <laughs> rope breaks. Did you the fucking rope breaks? Rope man. breaks, rope breaks, and drop kicks. Um, there was a like it seemed like Hoobie was just trying to do as many springboards and jumps off the top rope that he could do. There was some <laughs> weird spin move that he did at one point. Um, I was I was getting really bored with the match, and after yeah, like, no, definitely seven near falls i was starting to get really annoyed come on yeah exactly just like that loud ass kid in the front <laughs> row um there there was one good move at one point i think conan hit a muscle buster that mm-hmm. was a pretty cool that was a pretty mm-hmm. cool move and i was like oh that's the end of the oh never mind 
No, of course not. <laughs> yeah, no, but they finally had a top rope, whatever, power drop you said it was called. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't have to be miserable anymore, maybe, yeah. until the next match, but we'll see. Yeah, like I said, I have I have yet to enjoy a Conan match on this show. I don't, there's just something... I don't know if they're just not giving him the right opponents, or what the fucking deal is, but it's just... He is good at one thing. He's yeah. really good at standing outside and waiting for somebody to jump on him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and not... Uh, anyway, we go straight into the next match. Chris Jericho making his pay-per-view debut against Chris Benoit. I wondered for a moment why the crowd was booing Jericho during his entrance, and then I remembered that this is North Carolina and Benoit's a horseman. Mm. Uh, Also, I can't help but notice that in Benoit's entrance video, it's all clips of him fighting Big Rod and Stud from two weeks ago on Nitro. (laughs) Uh, At one point, Benoit locks Jericho in the Lion Tamer. Maybe that's where Jericho got the idea for it? Maybe? Uh, Jericho hits his signature springboard dropkick, but then basically goes for a springboard Fosbury flop over the ropes to Benoit on the outside, but comes up a bit short and crashes off the apron as well as Benoit. He might have broken his back. (laughs) Uh, During the match, Bobby Heenan makes a reference to the Shell Answer Man, which is a reference so old, I don't even get it. Uh, Jericho reverses a tombstone at one point and then plays to the crowd as the commentators yell, Cover him! And Randerson drops to the mat awaiting a cover. Uh, during this whole time, though, he has his hand on Benoit's chest, which, correct me if I'm wrong, counts as a cover. Uh, Randerson should have been counting, and then Jericho could have attempted the <clears throat> lion salt after the kickout. Anyway, after what is unsurprisingly the match of the night thus far, in my opinion, Benoit pins Jericho following a back superplex. Your thoughts? Um, this was a pretty good match. Uh, <clears throat> definitely following that last match. The problem yeah. was <clears throat> Jericho uh, did couple drop kicks and i was just kind of sick of seeing drop kicks <laughs> uh, um but yeah that that part where he i don't know what he was going for when he tried to jump out of the ring um and kind of just fell backwards onto the yeah. apron um the refs are really consistent with the rope breaks like you said uh i put that as one of my notes <laughs> um there was a back suplex to the outside from benoit to jericho which looked really dangerous Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, Heenan says that Benoit doesn't do anything without putting a lot of steam into it. Everything with authority. That's what this man does. And buddy, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dusty forgets what the word expertly is. He can't. He can't think of expertly. He's, he sits fumbling around trying to figure out what it is. He's like, uh, 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 oh, expertly, expertly. Like, how do you forget that? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Dusty. Benoit has the flying head drama. Um, of course. Uh, I think at one point Jericho went for some quick covers, but Benoit was pretty much just dominating him at that point. Um, and Benoit goes for a German, but Jericho uses the ropes, and it might have been an inspiration for Benoit in the future. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, like I said, in, this, was a, this was a solid match. Um, the top rope back suplex, superplex was, was beautiful. That was a cool. Yeah. I, was that like was that his finisher back then? No, the the his finish was the diving headbutt. Oh, okay. <laughs> Smart. Uh, all right. Up next, it is cruiserweight title time. Super Calo challenging Ray Mysterio Jr. Today is back on commentary here because he's the only one who knows anything. Uh, Tony talks to Mike, whose headset isn't on there's a fan in the crowd with a sign that i think is supposed to say woo 
but he put an H in it. So instead it says, whoo. <laughs> Uh, Today teaches us that Super Calo is named after a rap group in Mexico and that Calo, the group, gave Calo, the wrestler, the name in a ceremony in the ring. Shouldn't he, therefore, rap on the way to the ring, like PN News or R-Truth? Today mentions that he spoke with Calo through an interpreter before the match. Then this happens. Gotta beat him. Ray don't have to beat him. I know he wants to. And I didn't need an interpreter to ask him that. I know. I went right up to him. They showed him. You need to beat this guy. Don't ever think you don't need an interpreter. Well, love the daughter. Bula, bula, bula. Mysterio just so fast. Bula, bula, indeed. What? (laughs) Oh, Dusty. Uh, They then do some maneuvers on the outside that just look painful as fuck, including a dropkick from the top rope by Calo to Ray on the floor and a somersault tope from Calo to Ray lying flat on his back on the floor. Uh, We again switch rings mid-match. Randerson, who is also doing two matches in a row for some reason, yells at Calo at first, telling him to get back in the original ring, but then jumps in and counts a pin attempt in the second ring. So I guess he was just joking? (laughs) Also, I don't know if Mysterio has his lower abs taped or something, but it legit kind of looks like he has a colostomy bag. Uh, He also then appears to submit to a surfboard, but Randerson doesn't call it, and he falls into a near fall and then escapes the ring. Then, an incredibly weird spot where Mysterio tries to crossbody Callow over the ropes and out, but Callow can't get himself over. Then Mysterio tries to pull him out while Randerson tries to pull him in. (laughs) Very strange. I'm pretty sure these two guys are literally trying to kill each other. Uh, the finish comes when Calo dumps himself on the back of his neck and Mysterio springboards from one ring into the other to hit a Rick and Rana and get the pin. Your winner and still champion, Ray Mysterio Jr. Your thoughts on the debut of Super Calo here on Nitromania? Um, I was actually very excited for this match because I was a huge Ray Mysterio fan when I was a kid. He was my favorite mm-hmm. wrestler. Um, Super Cal looks a lot like Ernest the Cat Miller in a mask. (laughs) (laughs) And that's who I thought it was. (laughs) Um, why does his mask have a hat? Is his hat attached to his mask? It's, it is attached to the mask. I don't, I don't get it either. Ah, okay. Anyway, anyway. Um, I apologize. I'm wrong. It's not his debut. He he actually, I remember he debuted a couple of, like last week because I mentioned that because it was so fucking confusing to me because he would stop in the middle of the match to adjust the hat that's attached to the mask. Yes. He adjusted the hat quite a bit in this match as well. Um, yeah, these guys were doing some really unnecessarily painful looking spots. Yeah. Like, like straight just dives flat back to the outside from the top rope. Like that yeah, drop the, kick, the, the top that drop fucking kick. drop kick, just splat on the yeah. floor. Like, ugh. Um, there was at one point. At one point, I heard this fan, some drunk fan, blatantly drunk, and he yelled out, "He was waiting for that," uh, <laughs> which I don't know what it meant because the move landed, so it didn't really make much sense why he was yelling that. <laughs> um, yeah, they had some really crazy over the top rope crap. Uh, the, the crossbody didn't work at all. Um, I, I don't know what that was. Uh, and yeah, I, I also noticed that during that surfboard, it seemed like Ray Mysterio like, was trying to submit, like he was trying yeah. to give up. So I, I don't know. Um, okay. The Frankenstein of the floor was brutal. Uh, more, that drunk guy yelled some more. <laughs> um, he was very belligerent. Um, and then. A belligerent drunk? I don't believe that. No, no. Not, not in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Maybe that was a strong word to use. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, it, there was a weird like before he did that double springboard Frankensteiner thing to win. He he kind of instead of just going into the other ring, he had to like backflip into the other ring, which was kind of weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, he won. It was a good match, but it was a wildly unnecessary, painful match. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, Super Calo has not impressed me. I mean, it's only been like two matches, but thus far, eh. But yeah, I can definitely see why Rey Mysterio was such a fucking big deal in 96. I never, well, I don't want to say never. Uh, I wasn't a fan of his WWE run uh, once he became world champion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then he just became kind of annoying because the constant David Goliath, how many goddamn feuds did he have against the big show? But I can certainly understand why in 96 he was such a big fucking deal. He looks very young here, too. I can't get over how young he looks. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, just wait till he gets his mask off. Um, <laughs> straight back to the ring, following replays, and it is tag title time. The Nasty Boys enter first, startling the commentators with their pyro. <laughs> David Penzer tells us that Sister Sherry is Harlem Heat's manager, and Colonel Parker is their promoter. What does that mean? Commentary seem to be unaware of Harlem Heat's pyro as well, despite it being well established. Dusty gives us the quote of the night. I'm going to be moving from here. I just about blow me up. You talking about singeing my eyebrows? Oh, man. You don't have any left. I mean, somebody holler pyro or something. Talk about a jalapeno to go. <laughs> Somebody holler pyro, Jeff. Somebody <laughs> holler pyro. I guess that's what that means. Uh, Mark Curtis shows us the WCW tag team titles, which appear to desperately need some touching up paint-wise, and the match begins. One thing I've noticed over the past 53 episodes of this show is that the referees all motion to the hard cam when giving counts or calling for the bell or what have you. Is the hard cam guy also the timekeeper? <laughs> Sister Sherry gets involved almost immediately, and Sags basically threatens to beat the hell out of her. Uh, 1996, everybody. Sags throws Booker in the na- into the nasty's corner and tags in knobs, and the two of them just start swinging wildly, causing Dusty to get extremely excited about the clubbering that's taking place. Knobs <laughs> then calls for the pit stop, because that's a thing that still happens in 1996, and then awkwardly waits around for Sherry to remember her cue and jump up on the apron to interrupt. Towards the beginning of the match, Bobby Heenan shows very little faith in the product, telling us to stick around because Savage vs. Giant is next. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this... This is a pay-per-view that you paid to watch, and Bobby is reminding us not to change the channel from this show that we've paid to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, this match might suck, but Randy Savage is next. <laughs> All right. At one point, Sags hits Booker with a pile driver, Knobs and Stevie Ray just standing on the apron, and he crawls into a pin for Stevie Ray to break up. Shouldn't, I don't know, Knobs run over and take out Stevie so maybe they could win? Maybe. Yeah. That would be smart, wouldn't it? Then, a few moments later, after more interference from Sherry and Parker, Booker pins Sags in the ring, and Knobs does nothing i'm not even sure he wants to win the tag team titles uh sags then hits a double face buster basically on booker and stevie and instead of trying to pin booker he crawls across booker to tag in knobs 
there is some really dumb shit happening in this match. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, Sister Sherry and Colonel Parker play into the finish thanks to a referee distraction and Parker's cane to the back of Nobbs' head. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but there is such a thing as too much outside interference in a match. Yeah. Yeah, this was... Uh, I, I don't even know if you would... How, how many times they could have been disqualified? You can... It's crazy. It's crazy to me that, that they had that much interference. Um, I always hated the Nasty Boys. Uh, Thank you. So I, I could Somebody's not. on my side. Yeah, no, I never liked them. Um, they were First of all, they're ugly. There's like no redeeming qualities to them at all. <laughs> uh, you know they have to just smell horrible. They look like they just stink. Um, it also, I noticed... Do they switch rings every match where they start? It seems like they kind of just switch. I think I think so. I mean, it makes sense for the fans. You can't wear out the ring too much. You gotta switch. Um, Stevie Ray is big. I did not realize. I did not remember yeah. how big he is. He is a yeah. big guy. Um, I also noticed that Mark Curtis looks like he might be on the spectrum a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that look to him. Um, Oh boy. Sherry's interference was not just physical, it was also verbal. She was way too loud. Um I had It's not as bad as woman though. Oh yeah, I know. I know. We'll we'll get to that. Um <laughs> But uh the one thing that made me uh laugh, I thought I had misheard it the first time, but Booker T was hitting some offense and he was doing his you know, his yelling that he tends to do. Yeah. But I don't know if you noticed it, he uh he had some sort of uh some some sort of Chewbacca sound to it. <laughs> he was kind of every time he hit him. So I called him Chewbooker T for the rest of the match. <laughs> um, uh, um, and I asked I asked if Sherry would please stop yelling at Eugene's uncle. It's rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Colonel Parker was outside wiping his face with a hanky because of all that work he was doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there was some. I, I don't really have too many moves or spots listed in this match because there was not a lot of them that I even mm. cared to comment on. Yeah. Um, you know, you have the scissors kick and then how many times friggin' Sherry came in and grabbed legs or just, of course it had to end the way the whole match went with interference. Uh, oh, absolutely. But she yeah. really, speaking of clobbering, <laughs> she really clobbered knobs with that cane. Right in half, right in the back of the head. Like yeah. she did not really pull back on that at all. But um, no, and I'm sure I'm sure Nobs told her to because that's seems like something that he would do. But yeah, the Nasty Boys uh, suffering greatly from stupid fucking face <laughs> disease here in in this match. And I never understood. Again, like I said, like I said, finally someone who's on my side. I hate the fucking Nasty Boys. I have never liked the Nasty Boys. I don't understand why they would ever be faces. Yeah, yeah, ever. They they'd... they're fucking gross. <laughs> but and yeah, I think this is just prime. You know, still trying to maintain kayfabe, just fucking stupid fucking faces disease. Where well, you know, if I, you know, my partner's being pinned, but if I get in the ring, that's against the rules. Yeah, uh, it, it was win the match. You was... want to win the match. <laughs> It was poor. It was very poor. The only redeeming quality is that they did not win. <laughs> uh, we then go to a commercial. Ric Flair promoting the official Fall Brawl t-shirt for only nineteen ninety-five. 
We then go backstage to the same locker room that's in every single arena in America, where Mike Tanay is standing by with Macho Man Randy Savage. Savage calls himself the evil necessity of WCW, which makes very little sense, but Macho. Uh, he's going to beat the Giant tonight, and then at Halloween Havoc, tear the heart from Hogan's chest. Tanay warns him about looking past the Giant, and Savage promises to cut the Giant in half. This, yeah. this locker room set, this is the this it's and it's a set because it's the same fucking locker room on every episode the, of anything that WCW that you ever see where they go backstage. It honestly makes me wonder if those are like pre tapes. I I would imagine they are. They probably just filmed them all in, in one go. Like Wednesday afternoon in Atlanta, everyone goes to t- goes to Turner Broadcasting and films their fucking locker room interviews for the week. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, uh, first of all, I, I, I just can't get over Ric Flair saying, uh, or I don't even know if it was Ric Flair, if it was the, the announcer that said, it's what the big boys wear. <laughs> uh, something I just don't think is, they, they thought through enough <laughs> to say that, but, um, yeah. Macho the, Man, the, what? The merchandise, the merchandise commercials are just gloriously bad. Oh God, they're, they're riddled with terrible 90s. Just 90s written all over it. Um, yeah, but Macho Man had a surprisingly coherent promo. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that one man could have that many neck muscles, though. Yeah. He's got some crazy neck muscles, and it really shows the veins in his neck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. one thing he did say that was a little far-fetched uh, is when he said he was going to cut the giant in half, after yeah. he's done with him, he's going to be 44 feet tall. <laughs> so that means he's now currently 88 feet tall. <laughs> It's a little bit exaggerated. He's a giant. That's true. Uh, <laughs> grudge match time. Oh, uh, as Penzer introduces Savage, Savage takes a handful of Slim Jims from a very excited fan in the front row and hands them to other people in the front <laughs> row. Uh, the giant, for some reason, enters to the Dungeon of Doom theme song, despite being in the NWO now. Oh, he gets about four feet down the aisle, and the song changes to the NWO song, and the giant then charges the ring. Weird. Uh, evil Nick Patrick is the referee here, so this may end stupidly. <laughs> Dusty and Tony immediately point this out. Giant is able to get Savage out of the ring, and because he is a crazy person, Savage tries to body slam Giant in the aisle. This fails miserably, and Giant press slams Savage over the top rope and back into the ring to start the match. <sighs> Giant has Savage in a backbreaker, and everyone in the crowd looks, starts looking to another section of the arena. This quickly becomes so obvious that Bobby Heenan has to comment on it, but we're not actually shown who or what everyone is looking at. Savage does eventually manage to body slam Giant in the ring to the delight of the crowd, and this brings Hogan to ringside following an elbow drop. Savage, because he is a moron, follows Hogan (laughs) down the aisle and directly into an ambush. (sighs) Nick Patrick admonishes the Giant in the ring, with his back to the attack, of course, Mm -hmm. while Scott Hall brings Savage back to the ring and rolls him in so Giant can pin him and Nick Patrick can count the three. Macho Man is seriously stupid. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is probably one of the matches that people bought this pay-per-view going, oh, I want to watch that match. And uh, I can't imagine too many people being satisfied after this. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get him being insane. It's fine that he's insane. I enjoy that he's insane. But this just made him look fucking dumb. 
Yeah, yeah, he did not. You can not. be insane without being fucking retarded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's just, I mean, it couldn't have been more obvious that he was being lured into an ambush. Hey, hey, follow me down the aisle. Just like a little <laughs> bit more until we get to this curtain that people might be hiding behind. Like, come on, man. It, it, that was just really poorly done. Uh, oh, yeah, and Giant is at, when the Giant came out, he's uh, 7 foot 4 and 481 apparently now. <laughs> he's gained some weight apparently since earlier in the show when they said he was 450. Um, yeah, all that catering will do that too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I noticed the Dungeon of Doom music as well. Um, I don't know if you know, saw this, but the giant had a falling headbutt right to Macho Man's dick. There's <laughs> no, no disqualification there, I guess. Um, that's Nick Patrick. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, when Savage hit that body slam, the crowd did explode. Oh, yeah. They went nuts. Um, but yeah, the ending uh, ruined everything. And yeah. this was not a good showing for Macho Man. We then get a commercial for Halloween Havoc, which features far too much footage from Hog Wild. <laughs> back to the arena, and down comes the War Games cage, Pyro, and all. We then go backstage, where Mike Tanay is with Flair, Anderson, and Luger. Tanay makes it sound like Sting is dead, asking Flair which horseman is replacing the departed Sting. Oh, God. And Flair completely ignores his question and even calls him Gene. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. <laughs> Thank you. Tanay then turns Anderson turns to Anderson, who starts talking until a mysterious figure emerges. It's Sting. Sting swears that it wasn't him on Monday night. Nobody believes him, so he leaves. We are still not told who the fourth man is. Tanay sends us to Michael Buffer. Great. Yeah. Um, in that backstage segment, uh, I love how Luger's like, I've been waiting a whole six days for this. Like, that's, you know, an abnormal amount of time. Um but yeah, um, oh, but go go to Michael Buffer. I have something on him. <laughs> yeah, fucking douche. Buffer welcomes us to Fall Brawl, despite it being over two hours into the show. Uh, he then reads us the rules of war games over the slightly too loud event theme song playing in the background. Uh, Buffer then tells us he will read to us the participants from each team and then immediately tells us that he only knows three participants on each team. <laughs> he announces the participants that we already know, and then does his shtick. Yeah. Uh, I remember Michael Buffer, and I remember even as a kid, I didn't care for him. Yeah. Um, how, you know, as a five-year-old, that says something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Buffer holding the official rules. They are so... You could see the writing on the paper, which is written in marker or something by the way um they are long as hell and yeah. he, when he reads them i'm i'm confused when he's reading them. i have no idea w what the match actually entails it's just too much and i yeah. i was literally also also because he obviously does not actually give a shit about the product at all oh yeah no he's literally he wants to get it done and just be out of there and i was slinking in my chair listening to this i was just he's slinking so... further and further down my chair <laughs> he's so awful <sighs> Does he actually start doing Nitro at some point? He had to. Or is, it, or is it just... Oh, God damn it. Yeah, he had to have. <sighs> Scott Hall enters first, accompanied by Ted DiBiase and a can of spray paint. 
Uh, the first member, which I initially thought was David Otunga's coffee mug, but no, it was a can of spray paint. Um, the first member of Team WCW is Arn Anderson. Please tell me the fourth member of each team isn't Sting and Sting. <laughs> of course, Nick Patrick is the referee in the cage for War Games. Tony tells us that this year there's a slight change that the rest of the competitors will stay backstage until it's their time to enter the match instead of all being at ringside waiting by their team's door as it was in the past. Sometimes you got to change things up when you won't tell us who's in the match until they come out. Hmm? As Hall chokes Arn, Nick Patrick tells Arn that he can ring the bell and stop the match at any time, which is definitively not true, something commentary points out immediately. <laughs> Dusty then says he never remembers a referee being in the ring in war games in the past, so they're just completely fucking it up in order to do this NWO Nick Patrick heel turn thing. Shivani tells us that the coin toss has to happen backstage because they have to keep the two groups separated. <laughs> and then and then tells us that the NWO has won the coin toss. What? <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Kevin Nash is the second entrant for the NWO. Nash, for some reason, runs to the far door in order to enter the cage. And then I later remember, oh yeah, the, each team has its own door. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah, because when they're that. all at ringside, the horsemen would be at one door, and whoever the horsemen were fighting would be at the other door. Each team has a door so that they're not hanging out together by the one cage door. <laughs> uh, NWO wins the coin toss, of course, which means that WCW gets the last person in, which means it's going to be fucking sting and sting, isn't it? Luger says, fuck the rules, and just enters the match at the 30-second mark, <laughs> mark, but who fucking cares, really? Hogan comes out as the third member of the NWO. Shockingly enough, he is immediately double-teamed by Luger and Anderson until Hall recovers enough to come help. Hogan and Anderson go to ring two, leaving Luger and the Outsiders in ring one, which doesn't seem like a good idea by Arn, but whatever. Team NWO in full control, three on two, as the time counts down for Flair. The crowd is begging for Flair to come out. Apparently, even though they're all coming from backstage, they still need to use their team-specific doors. Flair enters and begs someone to come into the first ring with him. That ends up being Hogan, who gets the first shots in. We go to the patently useless WCW split-screen for no reason whatsoever, and Flair then low-blows all three members of the NWO. <laughs> God bless you, Ric Flair. Team WCW is in firm control as we count down to the mystery NWO member. Sting enters at the 22nd mark and makes his way to the far door. No one is happy about this. Shouldn't at least one of them look at this guy up close and realize that it's not actually Sting? Yeah. WCW member number four is actual Sting, and he comes out and cleans house. Sting splashes all four members of the NWO, then tells Luger basically to fuck off and leaves, <laughs> leaving it at four on three. The commentators make the very logical argument that Sting can certainly be angry about what happened, but shouldn't he really try to stick around and save WCW? <laughs> More on that tomorrow night. Very shortly thereafter, NWO Sting puts Luger in the Scorpion Deathlock, and Hogan puts Luger in the front headlock at the same time, because of course Hogan has to be involved in the finish. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick Patrick and Randerson both call for the bell. Michael Buffer has the official call. <laughs> Representing the NWO, the New World Order. This is unbelievable. And you know, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. That's right. Don't even announce Sting. And only thing I could think of, had we trusted Sting, had the wrestlers in the dressing room trusted Sting, we could have won this thing. It's too late now. 
fuck you, Buffer. You are terrible. <laughs> you like you like how he just gives up at the end there? Yeah. Yeah, that was not good. Hogan. Hall. Nash. And the fourth team member. Look in the ring, you overpaid fuck. <laughs> the NWO continues to beat the hell out of the rest of them. Luger crawls down the aisle calling for Sting. NWO leaves the ring as the cage goes up and starts beating on Luger until Flair and Anderson try to make the save. Savage then literally shows up out of nowhere and attacks Hogan, dragging him down the aisle and throwing him into the ring. Hogan begs off from the first ring to the second, which allows the giant to attack Savage from behind because he is a moron. <laughs> Savage takes a big choke slam from the Giant, which brings Elizabeth out. She begs Hogan to stop. Giant hits another choke slam off camera as Elizabeth continues to beg Hogan for Savage's life. She crawls on top of Savage to save him, so Hogan spray paints NWO on the back of Elizabeth's dress. Odd choice. Hogan demands a microphone repeatedly for what feels like 10 minutes until someone finally gives him one. Hogan then mocks Savage and Elizabeth's wedding vows, despite them telling us for months that they've been divorced for a while now. Hogan then calls them trash and spits on Elizabeth. They pose for the crowd and then spray paint Savage anyway. Commentary talks about all the demands the NWO made, including their own TV show, private flights, private limos, etc. And then Hogan spits in the camera and giant chokeslams Savage a third time as Elizabeth looks on from the corner, terrified. We go back to the desk as the NWO back Elizabeth into a corner. Are they going to beat the shit out of her now? 1996. All three talk about how awful the NWO are as people. They abandon ship as Hogan shows up with a sign that says this is NWO country. It ends up with DiBiase on headset saying that all of their demands must be honored. Then we see Savage getting help to the back as the event theme starts to play and we eventually go to the credits. It was quite the show, I must say. I think you can avoid the Conan Hooventude match and the tag title match and the submission match, but everything else here was solid as hell and actually quite enjoyable. I'm actually curious to see if this is the last we see of Surfer Sting. I'll have to stay tuned and find out, obviously. Jeff, what did you think of War Games, the match beyond, and Fall Brawl 96 as a whole? Um, I think storyline-wise, the War Games match was very, very, very solid. Um, yes, very well done, and I, I, I even though yeah, Hogan had to be involved in the finish because you know it's <laughs> Hulk Hogan. I thought that was a legitimate hold no, that de- somebody could. He definitely wouldn't have tapped without that headlock, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the headlock was definitely necessary. The front face lock, one of his <laughs> favorite maneuvers. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was at one point uh, in the beginning of the match where Arn Anderson uh, goes for his little leg lock that he does. It's the it's like he does it in every one of his matches when he's tagged with Flair because it softens him up for Flair's leg lock mm-hmm. or figure four. Sure. Um, but apparently the whole crowd and the commentators think he's going for the figure four. Um, <laughs> and I think he kind of realized it because Arn Anderson had a point where he was just like, oh, shit, do I do, I do the figure four? Uh, uh, then he doesn't. And everybody just kind of dies down. Um, <laughs> he just clearly disappointed the entire crowd. Um, but yeah, I mean... I just thought it was funny at the end when everybody coming in just kind of said, fuck the timer and just kind of ran in when they wanted, Yeah, especially Luger. Luger doesn't play by anybody's rules. Um, and when he comes in at first and starts cleaning house, all he does is clotheslines. <laughs> That's what he, it's like, like 17 clotheslines he does. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Hogan coming in and he surprisingly didn't clean house. I, I thought he would destroy everybody as soon as he came in, but he surprisingly didn't. 
um, which I thought was nice. Uh, and I mean, the rest of the match was just kind of a clusterfuck. Sting coming in and destroying everybody was kind of cool, and then leaving was kind of odd. <laughs> and is it just me, or did Luca come across as a complete bitch in this? <laughs> he, he's the one who loses the match for them. And then he's just crawling up the ramp, begging for Sting. Stinger! Sting! I was like, oh my god. I wanted him to get his head stomped in at that point. Um, yeah, and then, you know, the whole thing was Savage looking like a real chump at the end of this pay-per-view. This was not a strong pay-per-view for Randy Savage. It's really not. Um, yeah, the weird thing was, uh, apparently, uh, when Hogan spray painted NWO on her back, he put two little hashtags on her butt too. I, <laughs> I missed I, miss that. Okay. Yeah, it was weird. He he put the NWO and they did two little hashtags right on her butt. No, too. oh oh, it was HH is what it was. Oh, it was HH. Oh, it's okay. how he signs off all his twitters, you know. Oh, uh, it's true. He was just practicing. He's just getting consistent. I see. I thought hashtags Twitter. I mean, it all works. <laughs> um, no, it was definitely a decent pay per view, and I I agree with you. Um. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Randy Anderson trying to protect Elizabeth at the end there. And then he just gets thrown away. <laughs> um, and uh, my other favorite part was when they came up and the giant started talking to the camera. And Hulk Hogan had to put a microphone on him to be like, yeah, they can't hear you. And not even the microphone wanted to hear what he had to say. It fucking fell off his head. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Giant, giant in the commentary position don't don't get along as we've seen in the past, uh, in weeks past. Yeah, giant and talking. He was probably still trying to tell us about Ted DiBiase's house. <laughs> yes, yes he is. I had that on his brain when he was trying to talk. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I thought this paper, pay-per-view overall was, was pretty solid. Um, yeah. But I definitely agree to avoid those matches, the tag title match, the submission match, the Conan, any Conan match apparently is not good. Um, and I, I, I was, this is cool because this is the first time I was ever, ever able to watch this pay-per-view. There you go. Yeah. So the first, the first pay-per-view that we did on Nitromania was, was Fall Brawl 95. We're here at Fall Brawl 96. I think this, this might be of the, the, I guess you can say it'd be 13. Uh, no, maybe not, because I think they skipped one month. Anyway, of the first year of pay-per-views, I would say this is probably the the best one out of all of them. So, okay. Um, if uh, I, I would say if you go back and watch anything, make it Benoit versus Jericho. Would you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. Now, care to guess uh, what this match has over on Cage Match? What does the show has rather? Um, maybe a seven. Close. Over on Cage Match, the show has a whopping 8.13 out of 10. Wow. Which is a huge score. I would say likely the highest rated show we've covered on Nitro Mania. Certainly the highest rated pay-per-view, I would say. Um, all right. So unless there is anything else you would like to add about Fall Brawl 96, drop kicks and clotheslines. No, I'm good. <laughs> we shall sally forth to Nitro. It is Monday, September 16th, 1996. And we are live from the Asheville Civic Center in Asheville, North Carolina. We were last here only about three months ago in June. You may remember that episode of Nitro for the absolutely pointless Giant versus Ice Train world title match. (laughs) Or for the debut of High Voltage, a match which they lost to the Faces of Fear. We were also here for Fall Brawl 95, as I said just now, the first pay-per-view I covered on this show, which of course saw Hulk Hogan win the War Games match against the Dungeon of Doom. 
<laughs> as far as I can tell, this is the last televised wrestling event from this building. Oh, God. So let's jump right into it. Tony screams us into existence, despite how upset he was that WCW lost last night. He introduces Larry and immediately reminds us that NWO won War Games, and we get a photo montage. Gonna be a montage. Larry says if they had just trusted Sting like he said, then WCW would have won. Tony then points out the fact that everyone in WCW is a fucking moron. We could have won war games. Sting came in. And you know, I have an apology to make to Sting. I said, we all said he was the newest member of the NWO. That was wrong. That was incorrect. He obviously was in Japan. We should have known this. Was not there last Monday. He came in. He was very you know, angry. Sting was in Japan last Monday. So last Monday, we heard Ted DiBiase talking to Sting, and we saw Sting get out of the limo and attack Lex Luger, and nobody in WCW, nobody, not a single member of commentary, no one on the production crew, not a single member of the roster, no one in that company took half a second and went, Wait, Sting's in fucking Japan right now. Who the fuck is that guy? And not only that, not only did no one come to this realization last Monday during Nitro, no one realized it in the six days that followed? <laughs> the person in charge of travel itineraries didn't call up Eric Bischoff, or even worse, no one in WCW knew that Sting was in Japan until just before this episode of Nitro went on the air? <laughs> Jeff... I have seen some gaping holes in logic in the almost three decades I've been watching professional wrestling, but dude, this one is the gapiest. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not <sighs> not good at all. Oh my god. Like how do you not how how can you say that with a straight face and everybody's just like, Oh, okay. He was in Japan. Like, nobody questioned it? Like, I, I can't even imagine, like, even back he's, then. He's the franchise of your fucking company. Yeah. Nobody knew he was in Japan? No? I don't know. I, how, how, anyway. I, it's silly. Very Larry. silly. Larry. <laughs> We're going to harp on this a few more times, trust me. Larry says Sting <laughs> is too sensitive and that he shouldn't be in professional wrestling if he's so sensitive. What? He also doesn't trust Elizabeth and says that she must only be back with Randy since the alimony ran out. Whew. Larry Zabisco is a fucking dick. We then get a though. shot of NWO operatives handing out flyers at the entrance to the arena because flyers. To our opening contest, which is for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship, Juventud Guerrera tries to take the title from Rey Mysterio tonight after failing to get the Mexican title from Conan last night. Rey comes out dressed like a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not, but the tights are extremely yellow. Jeff can confirm. Extremely yellow. Oh, yeah, yeah. These things were, yeah, they were shiny yellow. Everything, all the lights reflected off of them. It was not a good look. <laughs> Tony starts the match by apologizing to Sting again. Ray still has a colostomy bag for some reason. Tony tells us that meetings have been going on all day about the NWO's demands, saying that now they are not only asking for a segment, but for an entire TV show. 
Hasn't it always been an entire TV show? Yeah, I think I it has. Uh, we're told that later tonight, Macho Man, despite getting the absolute shit beaten out of him last night, will take on Scott Norton. Great. Plus the debut of Glacier. Ooh. Tony then finally mentions the tape on Ray's stomach, but doesn't actually tell us what it is, instead postulating that maybe it's an injury from last night, except for the fact that Mysterio's stomach was also taped last night. <laughs> we go to break on a springboard Hurricane Rana from Ray to Hoovy on the outside. Back from break for a two-count by Hooventude, and Tony tells us that it was all Hooventude during the break, despite the fact that we went to break with Ray on offense. Uh, then Larry mentions Ray's taped tummy. This match is much, much smoother than the match between Hooventude and Conan last night. It's almost like these two luchadors are much more aligned in styles than, with each other than Hooventude and Conan. Hooventude almost misses a springboard 450 for a two-count. We go outside the arena to what looks like a protest, people carrying NWO signs and chanting, but Tony describes it as sort of a <clears throat> tailgate party. What kind of fucking tailgates are you going to, Tony? We then cut back to the arena for Rey Mysterio, countering a top-rope powerbomb with a Hurricane Rana and pinning Hooventude to retain his title. That actually looked pretty fucking sweet. Yeah, and this this was so much better. Uh, I would say this is better than both their matches from... Oh God, yes, and, absolutely. Uh, it it kind of seems like uh, <clears throat> well, I'll, I'll get more into that. What I'm going to say later, but um, you got Eugene's uncle refereeing. Um, <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> um, you got Tony sucking Sting's balls isn't, some more. Isn't Eric Bischoff Eugene's uncle? Oh yeah, that's a thing, right? You can have two uncles, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> we know <clears throat> um, who's side of the family. Uh, Eugene got his jeans <laughs> from. Um, anyway, uh, they, yeah, they have Macho Man wrestling, and uh, I said, wasn't he killed? I yeah. Thought he was probably killed. Uh, yeah. But I, I'm excited because Glacier's debuting. I loved Glacier when I was a kid, but I also love more combat, so that makes total there sense. There you go. There um, you go. Yeah, but these guys were tearing, tearing it up. Uh, lots, there was lots of oh, kicks. Yeah. Uh, Guerrero has some stiff-ass chops. Yeah. He, he was really laying those in there. Um, and uh, when we come, yeah, I, I said when they come back from break, Hooventude apparently just has been controlling, uh, even though that's not what we saw it all going into break. So I guess we just don't see how that happened. Uh, <clears throat> we get the springboard moonsault to the outside. That was that was really nice. The springboard 450, but he pretty much missed it. It looked nice. Yeah. Um, the NWO tailgate party. Yeah, I said, <laughs> what kind of tailgate party have you been to? <laughs> um and yeah, the hurricane run at the end was uh, was great. Um, I didn't realize though during the replays why we get a replay of Rey Mysterio coming out in slow motion. They always do that. Every yeah. every replay includes the entrance of the winner. I have never understood that either. Yeah, and in slow mo. Why does it be in slow mo? Because it's a because it's a replay. I don't know. Anyway, Tanae is back in the generic gray locker room on Wednesday. He's with Mongo, Deborah, and Benoit. Mongo promises to destroy Luger for letting the horseman down. He then has Deborah talk to us, and it is terrible. Tonight, it's Benoit and Mongo versus Luger and Sting. Benoit also promises to kick Luger's ass. Mongo then screams for no reason as we go to break. Yeah, yeah, my, this is my first re-encounter with Mongo. Um, you get, I, although I thought it was hilarious, they gave it to Deborah, and she just kind of babbled. babbled. She's, uh, no, she's so bad. She's so soft-spoken. It's it's just not somebody you should have. See, I um, was going to say wooden, but yeah. <laughs> um, 
I had uh, Benoit during his little promo uh, said merciless. Yep. And unforget feel. Is that uh, a Canadian thing? I, I don't know. Like like a boot? I, I really don't know. I, I, it's, I don't think so. I think it's just he was confused on how to pronounce things. Uh, <laughs> could be some of those flying headbutts. Um, but yeah, and then Mongo yelling at the end. Uh, why? Why did he do that? Because Mongo. Lord knows. We come back and Tony sends us to yet another vignette for Glacier because he's debuting tonight. Glacier describes where his name came from as some knockoff Mortal Kombat music plays. Please enjoy the story of Glacier. So look at Glacier as he brings us unique style to WCW later on tonight. Glacier's a spirit inside of me. The name Glacier was given to me by my master. It's an, an appreciation for the elements, the awesome strength, and the power that's derived from the elements. There's a lot of excitement because Bruce Lee just hit superstardom. People like that got me excited about wanting to study martial arts. I had a burning desire inside of me, told me that's where I needed to go to learn. So I traveled thousands and thousands of miles and finally ended up in Kyoto, Japan. And what I found was an old master who took me in as a student. I was very happy to let him become my sensei, which in Japanese means teacher. He took a bunch of styles, combined the best of those styles, and came up with an awesome style that was passed along to me. Throughout my travels across the world, especially in Japan, when I was out teaching what I knew, I met some of Japan's most phenomenal wrestlers. And they taught me what they knew. I have now taken a great experience in wrestling and a great experience in martial arts and put the two together to develop a style that I think is superior. The armor and the mask that I wear to the ring are both examples of what I consider a tribute to gladiators throughout the last hundreds of years. In the Japanese language, symbols are used rather than letters. The symbol on my belt is a symbol for the universe. The symbol that is on my face above my eye is a symbol of ice. The symbol that is on my back is a shield that is made into an ancient Japanese face of evil. It always reminds me that there could always be evil lurking behind my back. But that's why I wear it. It's a symbol of respect and honor a glacier is what's known as a, a mass of moving ice. That's what I am. I'm a mass moving towards whoever my opponent is. To conquer that opponent and win at any cost as long as it's within the rules. Be cool. Wow. Such emotion. Yeah, I said I liked Glacier, but I couldn't sound more dumb after listening to that. <laughs> that was so bad. Uh. Back to the arena, enter Ice Train and Teddy Long. He is facing DDP, who is already in the ring. Commentary continues to talk about the NWO, and then Larry calls Teddy Ice Train's weakness, which Tony disagrees with. We then completely miss the finish of the match as they decide to show us instead a merch table set up somewhere in the arena that the NWO picketers have surrounded and are now putting caution tape around. Very strange. We go back into the arena so the commentators can tell us that they don't know what actually happened in the finish of the match. Yeah. Good work, guys. That's fine. Sitting right fucking there. 
Diamond Dallas wins because Teddy Long's towel somehow ended up in the ring, which means that Ice Train submitted, apparently. We then get a replay with no commentary whatsoever. <laughs> so I don't know if that was origi- an original 1996 thing or a WWE Network thing, but uh, Jesus. Ice Train had DDP in a full Nelson. DDP grabbed Teddy's towel because Teddy was on the apron for some reason and tossed it. Nick Patrick saw the towel, and since it was Teddy's, he called the match for DDP, even though DDP was the one in the submission hold. I think I just had an aneurysm. This is such a not-needed match. It it seems like they just kind of took all the people from Fall Brawl who wrestled, put their names in a hat, and just picked new matches for them. Because it's just... it's this. First of all, Ice Train is not good. No. I, Ice Train, like I said, I don't remember him at all, but he, I, I, I could see why he's real bad. Yeah. He, yeah, no, not good at all. Yeah, he, he's just a giant black guy. That's that's his thing, and he just uses his giant muscles to hit people. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, th- what, what, what was that ending? I, you, you, we didn't. Nobody saw what happened, and how did the commentators not cover for it? They, they were supposed to be there to be like, oh, yeah, so DDP grabbed the... Th-. No, they had no idea what was going on. <sighs> Couldn't help the viewers even know what was going on. And yeah, the, the replay, where, where where was the commentary there? They were just, just totally silent. And uh, yeah, why is Teddy Long... Like, he almost threw in his towel at one point during the fall brawl match, didn't he? Yeah. Why Why does he have that? And then, and then, and then the referee was like, no, you can't do that. They have to say I quit. And then the match ended without anyone saying I quit. Anyways, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't go. I should have probably Googled it and found an original you know, recording of this episode to see if that was a network thing. But yeah, no commentary whatsoever on the relay. Uh, again, I had a fucking aneurysm. <laughs> we then go back to the merchandise stand. The signs, or at least one of the signs, says, Who wants this crap? And then they show us that they've replaced the WCW merchandise with NWO merchandise. So the crap is the NWO merchandise then, since that's what's on the table that they're now picketing. Yeah. This episode is very confusing. Yeah. A terrible Conan promo sends us to break. He's not good. We come back from break to an interesting individual sitting in the crowd. It's the former 123 kid who Tony admits used to be with the WW, but is no longer employed by them. Tony wonders why the kid is here, and Larry, rightfully, tells him because it's he's in the NWO, dipshit. <laughs> Enter Super Callow. He is taking on Conan for the Mexican Championship. God damn it. I learned something interesting before this match as I did a quick Google search for the WCW Mexican Heavyweight Championship since the belt that Jimmy Hart brings to the ring tonight doesn't look, as I recall, to be the same belt from earlier title defenses. Oh, really? I learned that the WCW Mexican Championship is actually AAA's America's Heavyweight Championship, which I believe Jason briefly mentioned when he was on the show. Uh, Could be wrong. Somebody has mentioned it previously. Uh, Might not have been on the show. Might have just been in passing. Anyways, uh, but can also be determined uh, by the huge AAA across the front of the title that Jimmy Hart is carrying tonight. Uh, Conan was the first America's heavyweight champion in AAA, winning the belt in February of 1996. The belt 
was supposed to be a secondary title like the WWF Intercontinental Championship or the WCW United States Championship. But when Conan signed an exclusive deal with WCW in September of 1996, he just fucking took the belt with him and AAA decided to just pretend it didn't exist. Uh, the title was vacated on October 1st, 96, and ignored until Conan started working with AAA again in 2004 when a second champion was crowned following another tournament. And then two years later, that champion also stopped working with AAA, so the title was dropped again. <laughs> I also went back to Fall Brawl for a brief moment and noticed that the Mexican title doesn't actually make an appearance during the Mexican title match. Conan does not bring it to the ring with him oh, yeah. and therefore it is not presented to the crowd or the cameras before the match starts as titles always are. So I suppose we should have seen it coming that Conan retained last night. Uh, I then for the fuck of it went back to clash of the champions from January to confirm. And it is absolutely not the same belt that Conan wore then. Yeah. I was going to say, I saw this belt and I, I remember you saying how terrible it looked and I was like, eh, it's not that bad, Yeah, but I guess it's not the same one. It was not this belt on this episode of nitro. <laughs> Anyway, back to the match. Given what I learned this evening, I'm going to continue to highly doubt that Conan ever loses this fake championship, since it's actually his fucking belt. Back in the ring, and Callow nearly kills himself on a suicide dive. Ironic, making contact with Conan, but then also flying directly into the guardrail. <laughs> we then get an odd spot where Conan basically has to make Callow head-scissor him out of the corner. We then get another classic Conan standing on the floor, just staring up into the sky, waiting for his opponent to dive on him spot. We then get an awful-looking botch, uh, where Callow dropkicks Conan on the top rope. He then leaps up for head scissors, but lands in such a way that when Conan takes the move, he lands directly <laughs> on top of him. Thankfully, Callow seems to be okay as he goes directly back on the offensive. This match is ugly. I mean, it flows a little better than last night's match with Hooventude, but there is some ugly stuff happening here. Conan hits Kahlo with a snap brainbuster of sorts, then somehow this isn't the finish. Crucifix powerbomb and a power drop, but not off the top rope tonight. It wins it for Conan. Jimmy Hart continues to awkwardly yell Ariba La Raza, and it's still kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess what we learned is if you lose your title match in a pay-per-view, you can just wrestle for another title in the next match. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, lose, and lose that match as well. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, Conan is really, really good at just standing outside waiting to be jumped on. He doesn't even like, he doesn't look, he doesn't act, like just act dazed or something. He's just standing there with a blank look on his face waiting yeah. for the guy to jump on him. Huh? Um, I think Callow, uh, what's he doing? Uh, Callow is the most dangerous person to himself. I think. <laughs> he just does the most physically painful moves to his own body. No regard for his body whatsoever. No, nope. it's, it's almost worse than what people are saying now. People are like being irresponsible in, in indie promotions, like all the all the suplexes on the aprons and the brain bust. No, this is worse. He's just jumping off the top rope at flat back, bumping on the outside. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but yeah, this is this is a little bit better than the Hooventude match. Um. Calo. Once again, like in the Rey Mysterio match, he kind of dominated. In this match, he was he was landing more offense, it seemed like, and then it was just Conan with one power move. Um, but yeah, the, the spot that made me laugh was absolutely the top of Hurricane Rana, with which worked great with Rey Mysterio. But when you have somebody like Conan and you're doing it, he just kind of flopped down on top <laughs> of him. 
<laughs> I don't um, know. The, the the spot where Conan had to make callow head scissor him was, was pretty fucking funny to me. Oh, it was. Yeah, that was good, too. Um, I, I, I thought it was pretty funny when Super Callow went for a corner drop kick and he missed and landed directly on his neck. Um, he, he has to have some serious back and neck problems. <laughs> <laughs> like now he, he can't be moving around without pain. Um, and yeah, I, I called the, uh, that, that snap brain buster, like a, like it almost looked like a package DDT of some sort. It was like a weird maneuver, but that, that looked really bad on Kylo's neck again. <laughs> Surprise. But, uh, yeah, thankfully this one did not last nearly as long as the Hoopatude match. And, uh, there's a, just, it was not a good match and there's too many cringe filled spots for me. And, and Conan just looks terrible. Yeah. That Conan typically just looks terrible though. Yeah, that's true. But you, it wouldn't be a Conan match without Jimmy Hart apparently yelling Arriba La Rasa. <laughs> uh, according to Wikipedia, it only goes up to 2000. Nine, so I'm using the last match was in 2009. I don't know. Really? Um, that long? Right? <laughs> but also, he's like. He's 47, so. He was 25 at the time of this, but. <laughs> Makes sense. Young and dumb. Anyway. <laughs> and full of. Never mind. <laughs> Mike today is then in the crowd with the artist formerly known as the 123 Kid. He sounds. Drunk as fuck. Check it out. <laughs> Find out some answers here. While I'm going to try and get to the bottom of this, we surely haven't seen you in an awful long time in a wrestling ring in North America. What's the story? Why exactly are you here? Oh, well, you know, I try to keep incognito here today. I've been in Japan doing a little deal over there. I hear Nitro's the hottest show going today. I thought I'd come check it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you're here, but what's the reason? I wanted to come last night. That big War Games match. The biggest cage match going today. Who won that match anyhow? I was, in the, I was on the plane on the way here. Who won that match anyhow? Are you kidding? Everybody in this building knows very obviously that the New World Order was victorious at War Games. Oh, they did? Oh. Darn it. We need to take a commercial break. More Monday Nitro after this. We go to break on a Hugh Morris promo. I legit could not hear what Hugh was saying other than laughter. Yeah, he was another guy I always didn't care for. <laughs> it turns out he was a giant piece of shit, but that's, uh, that's later on. This Saturday night, the amazing French Canadians, Jim Powers, Rey Mysterio, the Taskmaster, Conan, and much more. Back to the ring for Hugh Morris, who enters alone, oddly enough, going up against Brad Armstrong, who is accompanied to the ring by his extremely patriotic jacket. <laughs> During Brad's entrance, Tony apologizes to Sting for the third time tonight. During this match, Larry continues to talk about how Elizabeth trying to save Macho Man last night has to be some sort of ploy by either the Horseman or the NWO. The countdown to Hour 2 appears on the screen as Hugh Morris hits that beautiful moonsault and lazily pins Armstrong, which Armstrong reverses into a three-count. Morris is unhappy, but doesn't actually do anything about it. Armstrong celebrates his shitty victory as we get needless power, needless power, needless pyro for hour number two. Bischoff then immediately sends us to commercial. Yep, this was a match. <laughs> uh, Brad Armstrong does have an amazingly bad mullet. 
Um, oh god, yeah, yeah. His mullet's something else. He, he looks, he looks like in that windbreaker American flag jacket. I was really surprised he won. I was so surprised <laughs> when he reversed that and won. Like, <coughs> like is he going to go on some sort of big run now? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this was just a match. You could tell yeah. they had to end because it was almost an abrupt ending because of hour two hitting. Yeah, which isn't which isn't something that usually happens. Usually they'll just go with whatever, but uh, maybe they were up against the commercial break. Mm-hmm. Uh, back from break tonight introduces Macho Man. Where the fuck is Gene? Mach is wearing his nitro shirt and his gay pride pants. Today isn't in the ring. He's just hanging out at the end of the ramp. He shows us photos of last night's match and reminds us that Macho Man is a moron. Macho says a weird poem and then tells us he's a million miles below rock bottom. <laughs> you, you know what, Jeff? It's it's Macho Man, so just enjoy. Ooh. Randy Savage, Halloween Havoc, October the 27th in Las Vegas. Your chance for revenge, your chance to get the world's title back from Hulk Hogan. Living hard and living fast. Don't know how much longer I can last. If I'm lying, I'm dying. The nightmare continues. But I'll tell you something right now. I'm rock bottom. No, I'm not. I'm a million miles below rock bottom. A lot of people say I got nothing to live for. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, guaranteed personified. You and me are alive on the planet Earth at the same moment in time. And guess what? It's going to get really, really, really scary because of the fact that now I'm down to one marble. And if I lose that one, it really doesn't matter, brother. Can you take what I got for you? I don't think so. Bring it on. Oh, yeah. Let's get our number two of Nitro kicked off. Here's Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan. Tanae sends Macho Man to the ring and heads to commentary. But before he can get there, Bischoff tells us that there's something wrong in the back and sends us outside, which isn't the back, but whatever, where the NWO arrives. They are drinking. (laughs) NWO Sting shows off his NWO shirt, and then Nash says, NWO Nitro, I like the way that sounds. More on that in a couple of months. Good Nash impression. Back to the ring for Macho versus Scott Norton, as mentioned earlier. How and or why? Bischoff tells us that a lot of WCW guys are going to be in Japan next week during Nitro, so Macho Man is going to be ha- is going to have to hold down the fort himself. That sure seems like a great idea. Bischoff mentions that he set up the partnership between WCW and New Japan, and states again that Sting was in Japan last week promoting the tour that will take most of the roster away from next week's nitro. So, and my, I'm getting a headache just thinking about this. He is basically in charge of the partnership and he did not know that sting wasn't there last week. That sting was thousands of miles away last week. It is mind-boggling how little sense this makes to me it's good they put more clarity on it but really it just made it more confusing it just made it so much it just made it look so much more stupid uh, anyway eventually the match spills outside following norton's patented shoulder breaker macho goes fucking mental and hits norton with a chair three times in the head unprotected henry getting himself disqualified in the process and then he just stalks to the back yeah, um, like I said, here we go. Names for my hat: Norton and Macho Man are gonna wrestle. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah, this this whole NJPW and 
WCW deal. Like, how do you not know? You really, and it's not even it's not even like the limo part happened in the first hour. Oh yeah, when Sting came out of the limo, Bischoff was on commentary. Bischoff had a live microphone. Yeah, Bischoff should have known. Hey, we're going to Japan in a couple of weeks. Sting's there now promoting the fact that we're going to be in Japan in a couple of So that can't possibly be Sting. But no. No, no. You know, he had the face paint on, so it has to be him. <laughs> he had a face paint and a robe. It had to be Sting. <laughs> um, we heard him. We heard Sting. It had to be Sting. Had to be him. It had to. <laughs> and I remember this... that awful, that awful, like, promo that they had him play that was uh. clearly taped. Well, you remember it because they, they play a little later. But anyways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, did, I, I, is it just me or does Norton the definition of generic power wrestler one? Oh, God, yes. Um, Absolutely. I also said Tony keeps making sure to say Scott Flash Norton. He keeps Scott saying. Scott Flash Norton. keeps yeah. saying Flash Norton, which I don't know why you have to keep saying that. Um, and they, they ta- I don't know how many times they talked in this match about how embarrassed Macho Man must be. But it has to be three or four times and on different occasions. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it makes sense that Savage is a crazy person, so he goes nuts with the chair and gets disqualified. And then mushes Nick Patrick in the face. <laughs> uh, I'm still angry about the sting thing. Back to the desk, Bischoff says Macho may just be acting like a crazy person, and Brain agrees. I don't think it's acting. Tanae says there's a distinct lack of leadership in the WCW locker room, and Macho may be the leader they need. Dear God. They remind us that Savage has the title match at Halloween Havoc in Vegas, and then a big Bubba promo sends us to break. Yeah, I like the whole wax on, wax off reference he had. <laughs> Enter Glacier when we return. His entrance involves blue lights, lasers, fog, something Bischoff calls a kata, and fake snow. Let's hop briefly to Wikipedia, shall we? Glacier was also given one of the most extravagant entrances in wrestling at the time, which consisted of blue laser lights streaming across the arena and synthetic snow falling from the ceiling, while the ring was enveloped in blue lighting. Production costs for the, for the entrance amounted to nearly half a million dollars, while the costume and armor designed by Andre Freitas of Atlanta-based AFX Studio cost $35,000. Jesus Christ. You think maybe if they hadn't spent over half a million dollars on Glacier, they could remember where Sting is from week to fucking week? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, he was probably worried about the, the bills he was getting in from Glacier's entry. Like, this guy? And then just totally forget. He just glanced over the whole Sting thing, I guess. You know? It's not important anyway. <sighs> Bubba is already in the ring. He mocks the fake snow, and Mark Curtis rings the bell. Glacier bows to Curtis and then starts the match. Because he's a ninja. The lights don't change. Who's this guy fucking think he is? Seen Kara? <laughs> Bischoff repeatedly jizzes in his pants over Glacier's martial arts skills. A spin kick to Bubba's jaw ends things with a pinfall. Decent debut. Almost a prolonged squash on Bubba, if you will. But Bischoff continues to orgasm about Glacier's skills in the martial arts. He poses amid lasers in the ring as more snow falls. Tanae then gives us the classic kayfabe bullshit line that the temperature in the building feels like it's dropped 20 or 30 degrees. I kind of feel bad for Glacier, honestly. 
it, it's obvious that he's got skills, that he's a decent wrestler, and I think he could have been something, but this kitschy fucking gimmick was never going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I just remember, um, like I said, he was one of my favorites just because I liked Mortal Kombat so much. And that entrance, is, I mean, I know it's half a million dollars, but it's fucking bananas. It's really cool. <laughs> it's a cool entrance. Um, not worth I have to wonder. Million, I, have to, I, have, I have to hope that that's just like the total cost of it, that it's not like half a million dollars oh, every time. God, can you imagine? <laughs> half a million just for his entrance. <coughs> Probably got paid nothing. Like, could I, could, right. Can I get a raise? No, your entrance is half a mil. You want a bag of fake snow? <laughs> um, yeah, I liked how Bubba got the whole jobber entrance just already being in the ring. But I guess DDP got that earlier, too. Yeah. Um, and he won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he made Bubba look pretty foolish. Uh, there was a l- way too many little stances that he was doing. I, I-, I thought that was kind of silly. Like, he would do a move, and then he would do, like, switch between, like, three or four stances, then do another move, and then switch some more. But he's a ninja. That's true. You gotta, you gotta nail a, uh, make sure you hit that point home. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I, I do have to say though, his moves do look really crisp and good. Um, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. He's obviously very talented in the ring. It's just that that gimmick was never gonna do anything in '96 with the nwo yeah it's like i said it's it's too bad with the gimmick they gave him it just has an expiration date i mean there's no way i mean i i haven't worked with the guy personally but from everything i've heard he is legit one of the nicest guys in the business yeah i mean he's still he'll still pull out the glacier gimmick and 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 do indie shows here and there from time to time and from everything i've heard he's just a genuinely nice guy yeah yeah i've I've heard some interviews with him and and seen I watched like a little documentary on, on YouTube about him, about him coming to ROH, I think it was, for some battle royal or something. And he just seems like he's such a nice fella. Like yeah. it would be nice yeah. to just sit down with him and talk to him. Right, right. Glacier, if you ever want to come on Nitromania, let me know. Back from break, and Bischoff starts to talk about the NWO until Sting appears, the real Sting, and walks to the ring. Sting cuts a promo to the crowd and not the hard cam, which puzzles commentary. Bischoff points out the symbolism of Sting turning his back on the hard cam after the company turned its back on him. Stinger describes the process that led to what we saw last night and how much it hurt to be accused and not believed after everything he's done for the company. Sting tells everyone who doubted him to stick it. What is with everyone in this company telling people to stick it? Uh, Says he's a free agent, but that doesn't mean we won't see him from time to time. And then he leaves, and we go back to the desk. What did you think of Sting's gorilla promo here? Um, it was, uh, you know, he, he seemed uh, genuinely butthurt about it. <laughs> he uh, he came, I kind of came across a little bit like a baby and really proved Larry's point earlier correct, <laughs> him being very sensitive. Um, but it, it's fine. He, you know, he gave his whole side to the, the whole fake Sting thing, and... Uh, you know, he's still, he's still a face though. Cause he's playing up to the crowd. Everybody who had his back, all you fans had my back. So I'll have yours, but he's going to turn his back onto the doubters who, and all, all the people who were his friends backstage who doubted him, like basically Lex Luger. How, how'd they get everybody who supported Sting to sit on the same side of the arena? I know. It's wild, right? <laughs> We return to the ring for the team of Chris Jericho and Marcus Bagwell, who seem to sincerely enjoy their pyro. 
going against the team of Flair and Anderson. I assume as they play Flair's theme, but they do not appear. Eric sends us backstage where nothing untoward has happened, but Flair and Anderson are just trying to convince Woman and Elizabeth to go with them, but Elizabeth is refusing because she's scared. They decide that the best thing to do is to leave the terrified woman in the back by herself. Sounds like a great plan. We then go back to Waltman, who makes a show of standing on his chair and very dramatically flipping a button on a remote control. After an awkward amount of time, papers with the NWO logo on them begin to fall from the ceiling, and the NWO picketers appear in the crowd. Bischoff then asks, What is he, the sixth one? Gee, Eric, you fucking think? He just hit a fucking button that made NWO papers fall from the... You fucking moron. We then go to break as Bischoff continues to complain about the papers falling from the ceiling. We return and paper is still falling. Bischoff has collected a couple of these flyers and shows them to us. The papers are falling into the ring. Nick Patrick rings the bell and then Flair, Bagwell, and Jericho attempt to clean the canvas. (laughs) Bischoff says that last night at Fall Brawl, Ted DiBiase basically extorted him into agreeing to their increased demands. He says that DiBiase confirmed that he is that he Bischoff is the executive vice president of WCW, and then asked him Bischoff if he has a physical piece of paper stating that the NWO has to compete in the War Games match. Bischoff says that he didn't, which shows that a he is a terrible promoter, and b <laughs> begins to explain how no one knew Sting was in Japan, and then says that DiBiase threatened to pull all of his guys out of War Games unless his demands were met and that the demands increased from just an NWO segment on a show to an entire NWO show, and that he had to agree that Fall Brawl... so that, or, He had to agree so that Fall Brawl could go on as planned, and that we'll have to wait to find out more information about this NWO show in the coming weeks. Think about this for just a second. They are telling us that DiBiase threatened to take the NWO and leave Fall Brawl last night if his demands weren't met. And Bischoff is saying that he had to sign the paperwork so that Fall Brawl could go off as planned. But what would Bischoff have actually lost had he not signed the paperwork? The War Games match? Which they lost? Instead of having the War Games match, they could have sent Flair, Anderson, and Luger out there. Shit, Bischoff could have gone out there as well. He wasn't on commentary. To tell the crowd exactly what happened, and that the NWO tucked their tail between their legs and left Winston-Salem because they didn't get what they wanted. I completely and utterly fail to see why Bischoff felt like he had to sign DiBiase's paperwork in order to make sure there actually was a War Games match at Fall Brawl. Yeah, that... uh once again, they're trying to give more clarity, and it just makes it more... They're just digging themselves <laughs> a deeper hole. Anyway, it's, seriously, I'm having a stroke. Now that the match has started, it's a pretty decent tag match, which is unsurprising. The horsemen do what the horsemen do, dirty tricks and all. Bagwell and Jericho are both great hands, and Nick Patrick is a piece of shit, but whatever. Bischoff sends us outside so we can see the NWO getting getting out of their limo, including Waltman, who was in the arena but is now in the limo. Big Show then has the boom. Sorry, Giant then has the boombox that was playing. I literally wrote Big Show. That is not a joke. Uh, has the boombox that was playing Sting's line from last week. Giant says, "When in doubt, NWO," as if that was ever a catchphrase. 
Back to the ring for more tag action as Bagwell cleans house. Unfortunately, he tries to pin the wrong guy, which really makes no sense in the context of the match. He tries to pin the right horseman, but Woman interferes behind Nick Nick Patrick's back, and Flair locks on the figure four, which pins Bagwell, who is still unconscious from an Arn Anderson DDT. Your thoughts on the tag match? What we got to see of it? Yeah, it was actually solid, and I was kind of disappointed we didn't get to see more of it. Um I mean, Flair and Bagwell, that's a, that's a, or Flair, uh, Jericho and Bagwell, that's, that's a, that's a team. Very weird team. They think it was the American Mail team? Uh, I don't, I don't think they did. Or was it Jericho's team at the time, probably? Might have been. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, I had made mention of Bischoff, you know, saying he had to give, uh, give in to DiBiase's demands, and he just came across like a, he doesn't have any idea what he's doing and he's a spineless yeah. loser. Yeah. <laughs> Fall Brawl 96 is Randy Savage looking like a goddamn moron and this episode of Nitro is Eric Bischoff looking like a goddamn moron. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Back I, from break. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, Bagwell has actually a really nice dropkick and they, uh, I don't know if you noticed that they're shilling some sort of NFL coaching program that was coming on after their their show, like for no reason, they just completely stopped calling the match to just shill this stupid NFL program. <laughs> um, yeah. I also noticed that my one of my favorite things that Ric Flair has going for him is that his knee pads are always trying to run away from his knees. <laughs> <laughs> they always end up like down around his ankles. Yeah, why doesn't he just get fitting knee pads? <laughs> Does he have no kneecaps? Do they just slide down? Apparently, yeah. Yeah. I think I, I going into this, had a negative opinion of Buff Bagwell, uh, having only seen him wrestle that one match on Monday Night Raw uh, as part of the invasion, uh, and then just, you know, having heard things. But um, watching these early matches, these, you know, 1995, 1996 matches, the Marcus Alexander Bagwell matches, he's not, he's not a bad wrestler. No, he has I'm talent. actually kind of a fan of, uh, I'm actually kind of a fan of Marcus Alexander Bagwell. We'll see what happens when Buff Bagwell shows up, but uh, I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of a fan of Marcus. Spoiler alert, it goes downhill. <laughs> uh Back from break, enter the other horsemen, Benoit and Mongo, for their scheduled main event against Luger and Sting. We'll see if this actually happens. Luger enters by himself. Bischoff tells us there is no Sting, and we go to break. We come back, and this is apparently just going to be a handicap match. Luger starts strong, but eventually succumbs to the two-on-one advantage and just starts getting the crap beaten out of him by Mongo and Benoit. Uh, Bischoff again tells us that Macho Man is going to be the only one not in Japan next week, which is going to make for an extremely boring episode of Nitro, I must say. I'm imagining just two hours of Macho sitting in the middle of the ring, just staring into the hard cam. I mean, it could be entertaining. (laughs) The crowd starts looking off to the side, causing Bischoff to mention something going on in the crowd, but they never actually show us anything, which just kind of leaves an unsatisfied taste in your mouth. (laughs) The end comes with Luger making a comeback. He puts Benoit in the torture rack, and Flair and Anderson come down to make the save, which draws the disqualification. The horsemen then just destroy Luger. So two nights in a row, Luger is a bitch. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> Bischoff then tells us that the new member uh, is officially named Six, since he's the sixth member of the NWO. We go outside as Scott Hall abducts a cameraman and throws him in the limo, where they are watching Nitro. Six asks for tickets to next week's show, since the Macho Man is his favorite. 
Hulk promises everyone tickets to next week's Nitro and says he can even get backstage passes since he's the world champ. Bischoff yells at them, apologizes to Luger for also doubting Sting, and we go off the air. Yeah. What did you think of the main event, the handicap match, the whole episode of Nitro? Well, looking through these uh, the little bullet points on the WWE Network, it had this listed as Mondo McMichael versus Luger, which I was like, <laughs> I, I, I was like, really? That's that's the main yeah. event. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, those those are always fun. Chris Jericho in singles action. Um, when when they, Who, who's he who's he facing WWE Network? You don't ask that question. You don't ask that question. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand why they have to remove his name from those, but he, I, I don't know because you see who it is as soon as he comes out. But um, I thought it was funny during the uh, the entrance. One of the pieces of paper that, that uh, lands right in the crook of Mondo's arm that people are start <laughs> just, they started chucking the. The uh, the papers at him like a ball yeah. of a piece of paper landing right in the crook of his arm. <laughs> that was a good fucking throw. <laughs> um, yeah, you know Luger starts out doing good, and uh, God Mongo comes in, and it really, I forgot how much I hated Mongo. Yeah, it's just fucking bad. Um, Heenan uh, calls him McMichael's at one point. And uh, refers an attitude problem, which could be a Freudian slip uh, for Sean. Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the attitude era yet. That's true. Um, yeah, then Bischoff once again says Randy Savage is literally going to be there by himself. And uh, yeah, they. Oh yeah, and then they also correct themselves to be like it's half of WCW, so you need to make up your fucking mind. Um. Yeah, and then there was the trouble in the stands, and immediately Bobby Heenan was just like, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was actually pretty funny. Um, and then we get that, the shilling of that stupid NFL program again, which really <laughs> bugged me. Um, I, yeah. I totally forgot that 123 Kid was called Six. I don't know why I forgot that. <laughs> is, I just didn't realize it was as lame as him being the sixth member. I was yeah. very, uh, are you going to call the next guy Seven? There is a seven. No, that that seven, seven comes later. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah, and then once again, Luger is made to look like a chump, and he just yep. lays sweaty and unconscious in the middle of the ring. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, ov- overall, um, this 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 was not a good episode. Yeah, and not necessarily in a good way. I have made clear my utter disbelief at the absolute derailment of the logic train surrounding Sting on this episode. But I did really enjoy his promo in the ring, and I am looking forward to the debut of Crow Sting a little further on down the line here. Uh, If you go back and watch anything on this episode of Nitro, I'd recommend the Cruiserweight title match, or the Flair and Anderson versus Jericho and Bagwell match, or at least what they showed of it around the NWO's interruptions, would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Definitely. What do you think we... What do you think we got on cage match here? God, this was not good. Um, but there was two good matches, uh, and the Sting promo, maybe uh, four, five, five point three, yeah, five point three out of ten on cage match for this episode of Nitro. Pulled in a TV rating of three point seven. Not bad. Not bad at all. It's pretty pretty average for what we're uh, what we've been at recently. So. 
Meanwhile, over on the USA Network, we are four weeks old from Wheeling, West Virginia, with episode. Remember what? Oh, that still blows my mind. That that who? Why? Uh, it had to have been a money thing because I can't see any reason why Vince would think that was a good idea. Yeah. Do four weeks of TV all at once. God. Uh, episode one hundred seventy-six of Monday Night Raw. This is the go home edition for what some consider the best in your house of all time. In your house, mind games. Jake Roberts chases Jerry Lawler from ringside and then loses to the Sultan by submission in the Sultan's debut. Remember the Sultan? No, you don't. You weren't watching WWF. Backstage, Brian Pillman and Owen Hart talked to... Yes, it was. God. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, Backstage, Brian Pillman and Owen Hart talk about Bret Hart. Stone Cold is there, too, for some reason. Bob Holly and Alex the Pug Porto defeat the WWF Tag Team Champions in non-title action. What was Bob Holly at this point? He was still Bob Spark Plug Holly. Oh, Sparky Plug. No, he wasn't. He wasn't Thurman Sparky Plug. He was Bob Spark Plug Holly. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yeah. I talked about that on the on the last episode on the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre episode of the Raw Attitude Podcast uh, I did a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Thurmond Sparky Plug, the race car driver, and then they were like, "Nah, let's just call you Bob Spark Plug Holly." <laughs> <laughs> so much better. No one's name is Thurman. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon assures us that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall have not re-signed with the World Wrestling Federation. Jim Cornette has a public workout in preparation for his match against Jose Lothario on Sunday. Mark Marrow defeats Owen Hart in the first semifinal match of the Intercontinental Title Tournament. We go to South Africa to tease Bret Hart leaving the company for some reason. He is non-committal about the whole thing. Sid gets himself disqualified, allowing Farouk to move on to the finals of the tournament as well. For some reason, this tournament final is on Raw and not at In Your House. <laughs> also, next week on Raw, Jim Ross promises the return of Big Daddy Cool and Razor Ramon. We then get an Undertaker promo for the final curtain match against Goldust this Sunday. We get the final rundown of the Mind Games card and words from Paul Bearer and Mankind, if you can call Mankind's promo words before we go off the air. Over on Cage Match, we've got a 4.91 out of 10 for this episode, which got a TV rating of 2.1. Wow. <clears throat> As we approach Thanksgiving here, I think it appropriate to mention that September 16th, 1996 was the 376th anniversary of the Pilgrims setting sail on the Mayflower. It was also Mickey Rourke's 44th birthday, DC Drake turned 39, and Phil LaFon turned 35. And that does it for September 16th, 1996. So let's return to the present day. Tell me, good sir, where can the people find you online, in their ears? Where are you? Well... I do have a new podcast on the Rundown Wrestling feed. Uh, it is Hurry Up and Cruiserweight. I put it out every Friday. Um, so you can check me out there. You can check me out on the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at Hurry Up Cruiser. And uh, I guess if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can. But it's like a personal Instagram. It's uh, <laughs> Joker's Wild WYLD702. And finally, speaking with you uh, in person here, I can say welcome. Uh, I think you're doing a great job over there. Uh, I enjoy uh, your additions to the show. So I'm glad you uh, sent that email. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And because I haven't mentioned it on the show uh, here yet, uh, for the past four episodes or so, 
Jeff has actually been the one who's been uh, grabbing the audio clips for me, which is why they sound so much better, <laughs> because I was just doing it with my phone microphone held up to my computer speaker, and he actually uses a program. So thank you uh, for doing that, because I have not said that on here yet. It is uh, very helpful. Of course. And gave you gave you kind of a spoiler alert going to this, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's okay. My pleasure. All right. So for me, in the month of November... Uh, I will be at the uh, at APW at the Elks Lodge in Newburyport uh, this Saturday, the 24th. Uh, I'll also be there on December 15th with APW and then December 22nd at the John McCarthy Elementary School in Peabody, Mass. for Liberty States Wrestling. That is my schedule until the end of the year. So find me at those three shows, if you will. Check out all the shows on the Rundown feed and enjoy them all by subscribing to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. If you like the things we do, please consider donating. You can make a one-time donation by going to paypal.me slash rundownwrestling or become a patron at patreon.com slash rundownwrestling and enjoy Patreon-exclusive series like The Crapshoot, Episode 2 coming soon. Jeff, if you ever want to come on that show, let me know. Uh, a spot of NXT where Troy recaps NXT UK. Uh, you can have access to Troy's full recap of the 2018 May Young Classic leading up to the finals at Evolution, plus early access downloads to all the recap shows on this here feed as well. Uh, I think that's all that I need to say. Again, it's been a little while since I've done this. I do want to thank everyone who sent me kind words on Twitter and whatnot while I was on hiatus. I am very glad to be back to doing this because it means that my life doesn't suck anymore. <laughs> so with that said, unless Jeff, you have anything else to add? No, no, I'm good, man. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure having you. I'm glad to finally talk to you. And I will talk at all the rest of you again next time. Right here. On Nitromania. Oh, that's right. I have to tell you that this is where you can say something if you want. Yes. Bye, guys. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>